This is Change the Station, Episode 5. Today, we are going to be talking about the role of record labels in 2014 going into 2015. Trevor and I'm drinking a warm can of PBR I found under my bed. My name is Sam and I'm drinking a Grey Skies Dark Pale Ale by Two Beers Brewing. My name is Cliff and I am drinking a Rite Aid Kiwi Strawberry Zero Calorie Zero Sodium Sparkling Water Beverage. Hey, this is Patrick and I'm drinking a can of Trailhead ISA brewed by Two Beers Brewing. This is Aaron. I'm drinking Walgreens Nighttime Holy Food. Now, uh, time for some music news. All right, so I guess I'll go first. Uh, so my news is that Modest Mouse is coming out with a new album, uh, I think in March sometime, 2015. And they just shared uh, a song off the album. And I don't know. I don't have a whole lot of commentary. It sounds weird. I'm not sure if I'm super into it. Did any of you guys listen to it? No, I didn't. Yes. I, not yet. <laughs> yes, and it's it's bad. And I wish that Isaac Brock would quit the band and just do something solo because, oh, man, it's just not good. It's like, he, it's like he listened to the last album and then just, like, kind of made a song based on that. Yeah, they're in, yeah. They're in autopilot. I was even listening. To, I was like listening to Cowboy Dan yesterday, and then thinking about like Satellite Skin immediately after listening to that song was just like, ugh, my brain rolled its eyes. So I was alone in Safeway, rolling my eyes to no one, really. <laughs> but no, they've been well, they've been boring that's, that's for a, a while. That's a Mouse theme, right? Your existential eye rolling. <laughs> I think rolling um, my eyes to no one uh, is probably a lyric in one of their songs. <laughs> and and I should mention just because I didn't have any specifics, the album's called "Strangers to Ourselves" and it's released on March third. And I guess the the pro consensus around here is that we're not that excited for it. <laughs> Good. Oh, well, I'm glad it came up. <laughs> um. Okay. Well, I got a um. My bit of news this week is more of a statistical breakdown, so it's kind of news. It's a data analysis of the five most common words in charting billboard singles per decade. So it's broken down by decade, and then it gives you the most popular word in each song title. Um, In the 2010s so far, uh, we is the number one, followed closely by yeah, hell, fuck, and die. Um, So we've been... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we've we've bucked the trend of the 2000s and the 1990s in which uh, just the letter U was the top most used song title word. Um, so we're being more inclusive. We switched from U to me, but yeah, hell fuck die is also <laughs> apparently on our agenda for the rest of this decade. And it's really funny because it like... It like goes all the way back to like the 1890s, and I don't know. I don't think Billboard was around then. That doesn't make sense. But the differences in it are pretty funny. I think. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. In 1890, the top five words were "uncle," followed by "Casey," "Josh," <laughs> "Michael," and "old." So we've come a long way. What was the last one? Old. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
My old uncle Casey. And in it, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> probably a song. It's probably several songs. I mean, we're do- it's like way more interesting than oh, 1920s Mammy was one of them. Gross. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, I don't know. None of the rest of them are that good, except in the 50s. Apparently, we had a huge explosion in the popularity of Christmas music because uh, Christmas was <laughs> the most used word. Followed closely by red nosed. <laughs> anyway, so we we should start a band and and just use the five words of this year. Uh, so it'd be like we me fuck yeah or something. <laughs> Statistically, the most popular lyrics <laughs> possible yeah. for this generation. <laughs> of yeah, we could do that. Well, you could do that. I know nothing about computers or anything. You figure <laughs> it out and tell me what comes out. Yeah, I'll, I'll th- we'll see. All right. Well, uh, a few days ago, uh, the bassist from Dive was caught making racist, sexist, anti-Semitic, and homophobic remarks on the website 4chan. Uh, he, he said some, um, not too kind things about Meredith Graves from Perfect Pussy as well. And he is in some trouble now. Uh, so that was fun. Dive is one of my least favorite bands, so. (laughs) Did you go? So. Sorry, did you go see them? At, did anybody go see them at Numos like last year with like Wild Nothing? I know. Yeah, they okay. Yeah, no, I I play I played that. They all show. looked like they had I just finished I painting a house. For huh? What you just finished painting a house? <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> sorry, I thought it was like that. Like to um yeah no scrappy clothes stupid hats everything kind of covered in paint and. There's a really there's a really fantastic picture of the band on the internet <laughs> where where the lead singer is wearing like size 40 dockers and like a giant shirt and then the bassist the racist he's wearing this he's wearing like male leggings like black male leggings and a like sweater dress that <laughs> goes And this is why knees. Dive is your most hated band right Anyways, uh, it's a dumb band, and the, the lead singer is, seems lame with his Kurt Cobain worship and all that, and just a <laughs> band of people full of people I don't like, except for I don't know the other two dudes. Maybe they're okay. It's <laughs> <laughs> just two people you're not kind of fond of. <laughs> all right, um, so yesterday... Um, D'Angelo's third album came out, which was called Black Messiah. Uh, and uh, I was wondering if you guys listened to it. You guys um, are pretending to yes. like it or actually like it. Initial <laughs> thoughts? I listened to it a little bit last night when I was drunk, and it sounded great. Yeah, right now I'm really liking the... Um, the Charade and Sugar Daddy duel, uh, tracks three and four, but I didn't really get through the second side. Mm. Yeah, that's about that's about as far into it as I've gone. It seems like it's uh, it's pretty fun. It's uh, really spacey, moves around a lot, not very poppy. I don't know. It's poppy, but it's not poppy. I don't have the appropriate adjective arsenal to describe D'Angelo's Black Messiah yet, hmm. uh, but it sounds really good. I've I've got probably I've been listening to it pretty heavily the past two days. I probably have close to ten listens through probably at this point. Holy shit! Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. It's kind of stupid. It's like it's way too much. Um, and I could, I wouldn't say anything about individual songs, but I just like the whole, the whole thing. It's got a good vibe. It just, it listens real easy. I like it. Uh, I'm probably going to have to pay a little bit more attention to individual songs in the next coming few days, but 
No, I've enjoyed it. Enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, it's it's uh, uh, it's in contention for some spots on my year end list. I'll say. Is this uh, when was his last album out? How much? I mean. I really only know Voodoo, if I'm being honest. That's the only D'Angelo album I've ever listened to. Well, his last album was about, like, 14 years ago. Oh, okay. Yeah. He only has three albums. Oh, okay, so I'm not that far behind. No. (laughs) (laughs) Good, I don't feel so bad. I don't feel like D'Angelo's being neglected by me, then. He is certainly not. All right, so uh, he, you guys know uh, Skinny Puppy, the industrial band Skinny Puppy? Yes. <laughs> yeah, so they are suing the Department of Defense because they, they just found out that the Department of Defense was using their music um, as, uh, as like a torture device. Um, <laughs> so that they're suing them for $666,000. Um, <laughs> Oh, that is that is art. I want to see. Yeah. I want to see the document where they came up with that that number. I, I so is know. there like a is there like a playlist in the CIA torture report that's like mostly yeah, yeah, puppy is. songs? Yeah, I mean, I I I, I don't know. There, there's got to be like some sort of royalty thing. I don't know how they they came to that, but I, like the music was being used without their their permission, and the band members are offended to learn that it is. You know, like being used in Guantanamo Bay to inflict damage <laughs> on detainees, and you know that they say I, I wouldn't want to be subject to any overly loud music for six to twelve hours at a time without a break. Um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I I, I think it would be kind of hard to listen to Skinny Puppy for that long, but I mean, I, I I guess their music was being used without permission, so you know, all all the power to them. If there was ever, like, an indictment of those practices, Skinny Puppy saying to the CIA, you guys are being a little bit too intense for us, is <laughs> probably the best <laughs> referendum on our policies that I've heard so far. <laughs> well, I don't know. They're also maybe, using maybe David next, Gray. May, maybe next they'll find that they've been forcing them to listen to this podcast. Oh. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I mean, that we, we can assume, I guess, using it without our permission. <laughs> do, you, do you need, like, permission for to, to use, like, a podcast, to, like, to play a podcast to people? Probably not. Uh, I, I don't know that we have any copyright protections. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, because... Well, we should, we should find that out. everyone permission to torture whoever they like <laughs> to this podcast. <laughs> You're legally free and clear from now on. I guess I could throw in a little like legally sing at the end of each of our episodes. Like you can only use this to listen to. You can't like I don't know. So uh Trevor. <clears throat> what did you like in twenty fourteen? Uh so I don't know. It would take me a bit longer to think about my actual favorite artist. But one that I'm going to rep that comes to my mind that came out with an album this year is Sharon Von Etten. I liked her album that came out. She had a huge year this year. Yeah. Her album was, uh, what was it called? Are We There? That's the album that came out this year. And I think it kind of made her a lot bigger. Much more, I don't know. No one really knew about her, I feel like, until this year, essentially. So <clears throat> She was all over KEXP all for quite some time this year. Yeah. So, she finally did it. She finally made KEXP. <laughs> All right, so I'm gonna rep. I'm gonna rep an album that I Ooh. thought Trevor was gonna rep, but he didn't. So, um, I'm gonna probably my favorite album this year was Sunkill Moon's Benji. Um, let's nice. take a look at his song titles really quick. <laughs> <laughs> I love my dad. I love no, it's I love you, dad, right? Mm. <laughs> and I can't live without my mom. Um. I remember, like, I have like a, an ongoing playlist of 2014 music, and there was 
one time at least this year where I had it on and I was hanging out with a big group of people drinking and then because I got tons of friends. I got okay. I got like tons of friends and just a smack dab in the middle of it like Carissa from Benji would come on and have to like run to the stereo like nope like (laughs) six songs in a row to play about people dying in fires. Um, but I will say like this year I've, I've been listening to a lot of mostly Seattle, Seattle stuff. My absolute favorite song, if I'm being honest, and I'm gauging this by how excited I get to listen to it when I'm walking home after drinking is, uh, Todd Terge's Inspector Norse. I cannot, I cannot get enough of that song. And this song Spiral too. Those are two of my favorites. Um, but for Seattle, I've been listening to a song called Outlet by Stickers constantly. Wimps released a couple of EPs and uh been listening to a lot of uh Neon Beige by an electronic artist here called Company Auto. Um those have definitely been some of my favorite things this year, things that I'm coming back to over and over again. Aaron, did you ever uh listen to Enmesh much? Uh, no, dream no, sequence. I, uh-uh, haven't uh, haven't checked it out. I think you'd like that. Uh, Company Auto collaborates with him a lot, and uh, they are uh, they exist in a very similar realm of music production. A lot of filtered pop music, a lot of uh, indulging in the tackier side of pop, I guess. Sweet. Yeah, it's kind of kind of vapor wavy. I'm going to oh, throw the oh, V yeah. word out there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, yeah, absolutely check that out. And also, a uh, this just came out, so I'm still listening to it a lot, but it's uh, just settling into my brain. The new album by The Beach Boy um, <laughs> called Flopportunity sounds like some mid-era pavement, and it's sp- like shockingly good um it's something they produce themselves and it sounds fucking great so by who they're called the beach boy oh okay period <coughs> replace the beach boys s with just a period and that's <laughs> the band name and it's oh, the word opportunity it. with the word flop at the beginning flopportunity it's a portmanteau <laughs> they also opened up beach sticks final show yeah, they were super late. Yeah, yeah, they showed up at nine for an eight o'clock start time. <laughs> hmm. They were busy chilling. Yeah, were they were they the needle that broke beach sticks back? Yeah, I mean not not really. Like we, we just we we just had too much. We weren't feeling it. had had too many good times. Didn't didn't want to have any more. Yeah. Too bad. I heard someone on uh, someone else on Hollow Earth playing Christian Tingle a couple oh of man. weeks ago. That was that was the hit. <laughs> yeah, that was that was that was your guys' cut. Yeah. Didn't you play didn't you play Beach Dick uh during Seaport Beat like two weeks ago? I did, yeah. I played I played a little bit of Beach Dick on my show. Nice. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah. It's a good EP. It just Ooh. wasn't meant to be. It wasn't meant to be. Okay. Well, for me, my 2014 listening, uh, a lot of unsurprising picks would be Run the Jewels, Shabazz Palaces, Vince Staples, those three really heavy rotation. Um, Obviously, uh, D'Angelo is really heavy rotation right now so we'll see kind of where that ends up settling but I feel like that's amongst the top um and then stuff that's from a little bit earlier in the year would probably be Cloud Nothings and Angel Olsen uh yeah and I guess for a Seattle artist I'd probably go with the Perfume Genius album it's pretty pretty killer Oh yeah, I loved that one a lot. Yeah, he keeps getting poppier in his albums, but I don't, uh, 
get sick of it. Usually He's I get tired of that kind of idea, but I like it seems like a lot. It seems like he's getting pushed really hard by his label. Uh, I saw his, I saw, I see his ads for his album like all over the internet. Uh, like I'll be on a, a sports blog and there'll be just a giant album cover of, of that Perfume Genius <laughs> album. Like uh, you know, that's probably Google Analytics, Cliff. Yeah, I know, but I mean, it's still like. I don't really, I don't notice uh, a whole lot of music ads targeted at me very often. And I'd say that that Perfume Genius, I see that ad like half half of every time I use the internet. The only- Did you guys not like the um, Ariel Pink album, Pom Pom? Oh, that I don't even think sucks. I listened to um, it. What? Oh, I'd, he's, he's so weird. I, I wouldn't say it sucks. I'd actually probably say it's good. But it's like... It's hard to like digest. Yeah. Very this, dense. This PBR is so warm and gross. <laughs> okay. So, so, so speaking of warm and gross, <laughs> my uh, my favorites of uh of this year, um, there there's a compilation, a Kitsune Maison compilation that had like a couple things on it that like I just got really into like one one of them was um this band uh this London thing uh years and years that had just like a couple killer songs and another another band like probably my favorite song of the year was um uh by by a luxury uh song called uh, never love and it's just repetitive and awesome and like I, I don't know it's it some about it is just just my favorite thing, but uh, Kitsune New Faces is the the comp had a bunch of great stuff on it. But overall, I mean, just like you know, like music is kind of changing in uh, 2014, and you know, like PC music kind of erupted onto the scene and just had like I know a bunch of killer singles that came out too. Like, I mean, Ag Cook, Ag Cook's beautiful is probably my other favorite of the year and you know just super weird quirky pop music um you know just just really excited about what pc music does it you know it's it's so weird you know borderline grading but i i really cool i just think it's like really well executed wait i, I still don't get it is it is it just that one click or is it music <laughs> Made by people on PCs. No, it's it's like that. That's the name of it. It would be like Matador <laughs> Records. It's it's just a name. Oh, okay. PC it's, music. It's a bunch of kids. Yeah. Um, cool. Working so, as like a yeah, collective. It's, it's, we, we should it's, probably, it's, it's, yeah, pretty much. We we should probably describe what? what PC music is exactly. But do you want to do it here, Aaron, or do you want to wait until uh, later on? Oh well, we we can dive right into it. Okay. So uh, I'm a 27 year old working for the man. What is PC music? Well, well, okay. Well, we'll we'll segue, <laughs> but let's introduce the main topic, and then we'll we'll talk about right. PC music. So, so the main topic for today is what is the role of a record label in 2014 slash going into 2015 because it's almost 2015. So, so what is it? Are record labels still relevant? Sam, are they still relevant? <laughs> uh, yes, yes, they are. <laughs> I think in the I think I think what's happening is there's um, like we we talk a lot about on this show distribution, decentralization, the long tail, and individualization of musical styles that the internet enables, and I think. What remains fundamentally necessary in the production and consumption model of music is that you have a certain level of curation. And while we see great albums being produced by smaller and smaller numbers of people um, on each project as those the number of those projects vastly increase, I think you see the same thing in record labels a lot. And you have kind of a... Uh, micro curation sort of going on in a, a lot of different regional or international kind of scenes developing 
Um, PC music is a good example. Um, very, very similar aesthetic, um, but something that wouldn't have fit in like um, with the visibility it has now like 10 years ago, five years ago even. It's, uh, I think it's almost becoming more the the record label model becoming more um what's the word i'm looking for it's like it's becoming more important at the same time it increases they increase in number and become more distinct <laughs> does that make sense i mean if you think about like the the end point the omega point <laughs> Sam, of all musical breaking. ideas right <laughs> right am i thinking too hard on this yeah Okay. No, I I don't think you're thinking too hard. I think I just heard like less than a third of what you just said. <laughs> Your internet was breaking up. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Well, what I, the short version of what I'm saying is, I think it's record labels are becoming more aesthetically hyper specific, and I think ultimately, as a consumer, what you're going to come to in the current. Uh, Distribute uh, prevalence of individual distribution is that you're going to look towards labels a lot more for those stylistic choices that they make. Look for your artists through labels rather than even okay. music websites, so critic websites. So they're sort of like a genre. Whatever. Tiny mixtapes, the quietest, yeah. something like that. So, so labels are kind of like a more specific genre, uh, maybe like a. I don't know, um, you know, a pretty pretty much a, a promise that if you like one band from it, you'll like a majority of the bands on this label or whatever. Yeah, and I think you see a lot more of interplay in the ideas of the artists that are working under the same label, um, like PC Music or um, Astronautico in New York. <laughs> All right, so so I, I'm just gonna pick up where uh, Sam w- w- kind of left off. Um, yeah, I mean, I I I think that's you know he's pretty much uh, right on. Um, you know, like lo- looking at you know like a uh, current role of a record label. Um, I mean, for 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 I guess like the the music that we're really focusing on, um, which is you know like more independent, under the radar kind of stuff. Um, it's like a record label is it's basically a sound um and so you know like a you know the label owner or A&R person there they they have one sound they're they're curating a very specific sound i mean in, in a way it's almost like making a like a massive compilation where instead of putting like one song from a whole bunch of different artists onto an album you're you know, like through the year you're releasing a whole bunch of different acts a whole bunch of different albums that all kind of like fit into the same aesthetic and so like you know if, if you take you know like matador records or you know like we were we were talking about pc music pc music is like a really good example of that where you know it's like it it is the aesthetic it's like an artist collective um you know basically you know it's 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 a dude uh, over in london um you know, making making music, uh, like he's like doing the production for a whole bunch of different artists and like re- releasing all these, you know, all these different songs as different artists. But they have like this really crazy like future pop um, aesthetic that that's just like totally, you know, totally different um, than you know, like if if you were to compare that to like a major label, uh, major labels, you know, like they're you know, they'll have, like, a hip-hop act and, and, like, a rock act and a pop act. And, like, they'll have, like, this, you know, like, they're totally, like, unfocused uh, group of artists, like, on the label's roster, whereas PC music is this really oddly specific thing. And so, you know, like, fans know to go and, you know, like, check out the label instead of, you know, like, listening through the label if they want stuff with that sound. Right. I guess another example of that right now... Um is that I'm following this small label out of Japan called um, Anotrax, and they're basically copying the um, indie pop sound from, um, you know, uh, 1980s uh, England. And I think what they're doing is just, re- uh, you know, releasing, self-releasing mixtapes every now and then. 
um, singles by bands that basically come out of nowhere. Um, so it's a really it's a really cool thing to see um, this totally this you know, totally new group basically trying to reinterpret an old sound. Um, but I should mention that this uh, I guess this pattern of labels borrowing or kind of rep representing a unique sound is not unprecedented, right? Um, I think uh, the biggest example of that would be 4AD in the 80s when they were trying to push shoegaze with Cocteau Twins. Um, who else? Slow Dive, right? And was Ride on 4AD? I don't think Ride was. I'm not sure, but... That sounds right. I wouldn't know. Hmm. Well, I think with... Um... So the what, scale what do you think is the benefit? That, the benefit to it continuing or to it disappearing? Oh, um, no, no, uh, sorry. What, what I was going to say is what, what do you think is the benefit for these smaller labels to kind of like have a consistent sound? Like, for example, like, let's say you have this sound, but this, this band, you know, that uh, is related to, you know, you got a cousin who's in a band and he's like, it sounds like, you know, some band that's going to sell out stadiums. What do you do? Do you make a deal with another label or do you, you know, how come these labels don't go outside their sound? Is there more power to having a consistent sound when you're a small label? Well, I think the biggest benefit of that is that it, it gives you a strong identity. When you, and when you have a strong identity, it kind of creates this, um, this air of, um, you know, exclusivity and being in while, you know, versus the listeners who want to, you know, who are quote-unquote out of the in-crowd. And so when you have that, that um, impression, it kind of, people think that you're on the verge of something, you know, groundbreaking or um, completely new. And listeners want to find the next new thing, right? I think there's also some very practical sort of business advantages when you're, dealing with say like one genre or one kind of sound you you develop an expertise in marketing and distributing that that kind of music you know who who you're selling it to you know what venues you're trying to set up concerts at in a city you know you know who the people in that scene are there there's a lot of sort of business decisions that you know you create sort of like a efficiency or synergy or some mm -hmm. that's true, yeah, that's true. Word. Yeah, everything. you have to like recreate relationships every time you like put out an album or something like you you know like you're you're pretty much building off of what you had created like with each release yeah well, well i suppose that makes sense right then so you uh if there's you know again your cousin's band who has a completely different sound than what you're used to might be the biggest band ever you might not be able to serve them appropriately so you should just let them go even if your label could make more money at least in the short term off of them yeah and, and yeah, basically repeating what you guys said like um one of the benefits of uh, having a strong identity or strong you know a very unique sound is that when you when you have that and you're able to create a strong um, image or brand and um be, be able to you know flesh out certain tour routes that all contributes to, um, I guess, the se a sense of authenticity, right? Um, that your genre is legit. And, um, yeah. Mm, I just got kicked out. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we have this, like, notion that they're, you know, like, um, that the record label is good for, you know, small small indie acts with kind of a niche sound like looking to focus their audience um but i mean like th there's you know just kind of in in the last like five or ten years or so there's just been this buzz of like bands don't need labels and you know like five or six or seven years ago we got this push of you know like major acts dropping their labels in favor of doing their own distribution and everybody is like kind of doing you know like their own thing off on their own is that practical like for for like your average artist like can can you just say like fuck the record label we don't need them i mean i don't think so at all 
because I, th- I think the difference is, is I think nowadays uh, we can record without a record label. You know, the, the whole indie movement made it so that, that we didn't need hundreds of hours of mastering to really make a uh, compelling album. So that's changed. You know, someone can just write up any old thing in Ableton and, and have that be popular, uh, as Grimes has shown us. And, but, uh, <clears throat> but you know, that, that's only a, a very small fraction of the whole thing, right? And when everything else is about relationships, you know, uh, going to different cities and, yeah, finding the right places to book, because if you don't know the venues in a city, like, you're not going to appropriately uh, service your, your band or your fans, right? So you need someone who has experience with all of that. And so unless you want to spend more time doing the business side of things rather than making music, then yeah, I would say a label's useful. Not necessarily a big, yeah. or, you know, some label of, of, some, of some sort. <clears throat> yeah. I, I definitely think, like, you know, getting getting into your, um, you know, like like breaking down the work that that goes into, um, you know, like getting getting music known um, is is really necessary. Like you know, like from from playing music myself and you know, like being in bands, um, it's it's a fuck ton of work to just have to put your own music out there to try to, you know, like book your shows and to try to you know like do your press and you know like whatever else like you have to write the album on top of it and you know like a, a lot of musicians i think have this like chip on their shoulder about like oh i do everything myself like i'm you know i i do my own graphic design and i record everything i i master everything i do the album art and you know book all my shows and manage all my money like you know like if if you're doing 16 different things you're going to do 16 things really shittily and like I, I just I think like the really smart musicians are gonna like on some level find people to pair with. Um, so you know, like you can you can focus on what you do well. I think musicians like who are terrible business people shouldn't be focusing on trying to do business. Like if, if they have something compelling to say, they should you know like find the right relationship. I mean, it's easier said than done, but like it's. You know, like, you just can't do, like, 16 things at once and expect to do everything really well. Yeah, there's a lot of common interest that goes into something of uh, a a smaller scale label, which I think works out really well with, I mean, which naturally leads people to form a smaller community sort of around what's, I think, essentially a, a marketing firm, like... PC music or help yourself records or something like that. Yeah. It's uh and I think that's I think that's a a great system. So far. It seems I mean, I've there's a lot of good material coming out of that model and I and that's something that's kind of developed over the last few years. Yeah. Yeah, and so something about that too. I mean, like people who are willing to um, you know, get into the division of labor like that, just like I, I'm not sure if it's only because like that that's the music that I've heard the people who are like you know like splitting it up, but you know like stuff like you know PC Music or Help Yourself Records or like there's like a you know small jazz label here in in Seattle calling Tables and Chairs, where I mean like you know like even if they're not playing music, everybody has their own individual interest, um, you know like to to help out the business and kind of making it a, a communal thing. And there, there's just something about the music, too, that just, like, it makes it seem more inspired when everybody's, you know, into it instead of, like, you know, just trying to do everything themselves and forcing forcing it through. Like, you know, like, if, if, if you're doing press but you're, you know, like, really uninspired about it and kind of half-assing it, you're not going to do a very good job at it. And so, I mean, like, pe- people want to do press. There are people who don't want to make music at all, and that's all they want to do. They want to do press. Um, I think, you know, like, you know, just just finding finding the community. The the community can help you out, and you know, again, it's easier said than done. But you know, I I think it it's really important. Yeah, well, I, th- I think one issue is I think there's a legitimate backlash, and perhaps it's gone too far now, and it's returning a bit. But backlash against the major label, 
who kind of <clears throat> helped out with, you know, musicians in this way, but kind of overstepped their bounds. So gave them deals that were too good to be true and kind of made their job more than writing music and Morgan to kind of partiers and entertainers and then uh, controlled them, I guess. <laughs> And so, you know, there was a rebellion against that. And then it's kind of like people took their own freedom and decided not to yeah. give any of it up. Uh, you know, and, and that seems to me why why there's such a like music seems kind of unique, like when compared to a movie, for example, you know, writing an album might take a similar amount of work to writing an independent movie. But no one's saying that a single person wrote mm-hmm. an independent movie. Um, whereas some people are trying to pretend like they're the only person who you know, we're instrumental in getting this album out. Um, when in fact there's dozens of people who contributed to that, at least for any successful album. Yeah, I think that's absolutely fair. And I think that's the, uh, that's the need that's being met by smaller scale group production rather than having the, the big three or the big four record labels that have those huge, successes and are turning these huge profits but they are they've been historically propped up on a 90 95% failure rate um paying nothing to bands outside of an advance and then saying well here's your lottery ticket you have a shot at this kind of success now that you're here but we're most likely not going to recoup any of the money that we're throwing into our PR and development for your image and your marketing and then you're going to be we're going to tell you it's your fault and then it's going to fall apart whereas working on a label with the sort of idea of sharing those common like goals of distribution and marketing as a necessity for your band I think that's I think that's what people are seeking out more and I think that's where you're finding a lot more productivity in these similarly minded regionally minded groups of artists and i think that's definitely the value in it or not (laughs) 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 or i'm just full shit you yeah universal music group had it right all along and we're sitting here (laughs) spoiling the party for taylor swift and the rest of the world (laughs) i mean i i know I, i think there's like kind of um you know, uh, there the there's a place for both. There there's a place for the major label, and there's a place you know on the totally completely opposite end of the spectrum for like the the small art collective label uh, type model. Um, you know, like the the smaller label. You know, that's going to be like the most original, the most cutting edge stuff, but it's also like really niche. Um, but then, like, I mean, I I don't think like the major label is necessarily like a bad thing like you just th- think about like the the audience you're trying to reach like if, if you're signing a major label or yeah if you're signing to a major label you are you know you want to sell millions of records you're not what what are you doing trevor uh, all right all right Am getting I back on track so ba- back 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 on subject i think uh you know like major labels um are are good like if you if you if you're Taylor Swift like you you want you know that you know like five hundred thousand dollar advance like you you want all the money being sunk into you because you're you know you're trying to reach like a mainstream audience you're trying to you know like you know you're paying for really expensive ad space for people who are really not going out of their way at all to uh you know seek their music out and you know something like PC music is not going to be, you know, they're, they're going to have no point of entry to, uh, you know, like a mainstream market with without the money. So, I mean, it's it's just a matter of what your priorities are. Um, but, yeah. I agree with you that there is, um, there's room for both, like, the art labels and the major labels. Um, I was wondering what do you think the label landscape is going to look like in, like, five, ten years? Do you think those, like, mid-level indie labels are going to get pushed I think they're out? Gonna, I think there's going to be... Mm-mm. more steps between like say a cassette label and a, a universal or sony or warner yeah so it's just gonna yeah. like fragment even more because i think yeah, from I think, I think yeah labels are gonna reach an indie i think from the i i mean like what aaron is saying like that is uh 
the blockbuster record labels, that's still a niche too. That's still a niche that's going to need to be met even though the era of there being platinum artists every year is going to be over uh, next year, maybe. We almost did it this year. Um, And I think what you're going to see is a lot more distillation in the popularity of those acts at that tier. I think they're going to start picking a lot more um, from sort of a middle-class record label that's probably going to strengthen. And that goes against that huge conundrum that they've always had as a larger entity, which is like picking up these artists that, you know, no one has a claim to already, and then putting the full brunt of your monetary investment behind them like they're going to turn into a, you know, a multi-platinum artist, and then they don't, and then you have to throw them to the side and rely it on that one in ten that does get that. I think you're going to see a lot higher hit percentages from everybody across the board. I mean, by everybody, I mean labels across the board. I think they're going to get better at doing what they do. I'm I'm not sure it's going to like become more evenly distributed distributed um just just because like I I think you know like if if you're signing acts at a major label um you know like you you don't need to take as big of a risk anymore on an artist like you're like labels like the big labels aren't signing acts that are unproven like they're they're signing people with like you know millions of followers on YouTube or you know they're they're signing people with like you know already established fan bases like all over the U.S. Um, so you know and instead of it being the one in ten kind of thing I you know I, I think major labels you know conceivably could just start to see more success but you know I I think you know like the the music industry as a whole is just gonna start to be be kind of like a microcosm of you know what's what's happening you know kind of as as a whole just you know like with a you know wealth distribution you know i think the major labels are gonna keep getting smaller and smaller i mean like oh in the last five years like we've gone from five major labels down to three um but you know we have you know more and more musicians who can't make a living on music alone and we have more and more of these labels popping up so you know i I just think like you know for most people music is just going to start to become more of a more of like a hobby or something like more of more of a volunteer thing more of a labor of love um you know than than it is going to be you know any any sort of thing where where people are making money and you know developing their fan base this might be related to that, but one of my biggest fears is that like indie labels in the future are going to take more of a chance on you know these artists or small bands that you know based on the strength of like one mixtape or one demo, and since they can like sign you know more artists to the label, we're just going to see like a proliferation of just like shitty music. Yeah, well, but isn't isn't the solution the the labels we mentioned that are more akin to vibes or, you know, subgenres of music. Um, Cause you know, at least those labels, if they take a shitty band, at least it'll be a shitty band that is of the, the type of music that you're into. If that makes sense. <clears throat> yeah. It'll, it'll be shitty, but it'll be your type of shitty. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the right shitty. Um, yeah, that's my shit. <laughs> well, that's interesting. That that also implies a level of uh, ownership or something on a listener's level over a label or a boutique label more than something faceless. Don't you turn <laughs> us on me. <laughs> it's enduring when your friends fail, right? <laughs> Wait, when did Patrick fail? As a, as a listener that I'm... Wait. Willingly listening to shitty music. Oh, it's on you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Which actually is, is something interesting to consider. Uh, again, if if these um, genre labels, uh, if their fans are more um, into the label than the bands, then it might be more of a 
a democratic distribution, you know, so may, maybe it's more important that you're a fan of the label than of the bands in the label. Uh, I don't know, just something interesting, you know. So, so when they get money, it's it's not a single band getting the money. It's almost like all the bands in the label getting money because most of their fans they they can afford to be more elite. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Because when they get a fan, their fan's gonna go through all of the albums in that label rather than all of the albums created by one person or one group of people. Yeah. And you can come to at least any label that you consider well run and expect that level of attention to anything that they put out. So yeah, it is a lot more reliable. I mean, like there are a lot of labels that I I like to listen to because they release like only songs about eating your dog's medication and having pizza snacks. Like, that's the kind of record label where I know what I'm getting and I will be coming back for more songs about eating Xanax and playing Call of Duty or whatever it is I'm listening to right now. Let's start a label that only picks up acts who have the top five words of the year or whatever. Yeah, hell damn fuck or whatever it was. (laughs) (laughs) We. He forgot we. So, So we should wrap this up. Um... Does anyone have any thoughts that they wanted to represent before we move on? No. I think I think things are going great. They seem to be getting okay. better all the time. In, unless your name is Amanda Potter. <laughs> She's a bitch. Ugh. Well, you can't <laughs> say that. Yeah, you that, can't man. say the B word on our <laughs> podcast. That's that's what that's what that's what that's what <laughs> the dive guy just got in trouble for. Well, I just don't like that she makes musicians play for her. For yeah, free that is that is a little bit insane. Yeah, let's talk about Amanda Palmer. Let's <laughs> let's talk about Amanda Palmer. I don't I like I don't really know who Amanda Palmer is, but I've heard people talk about her a few times, and like I just don't understand why she's famous. But she's always like saying something that sounds insufferable about something she, else. She was in Dresden. Dresden Dolls, Dolls are pretty good, which is a pretty big band. And then, and then she married Neil Gaiman, who made the Sandman comics and wrote move, uh, wrote some books. And like the movie Coraline uh, was created after one of the books he wrote. Um, so he, I mean, the gist creator. of it. I mean, the gist of it is she's she's like an ex- established person who has like some yes. following. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And then like a rabid and, following. And, and then so she had a Kickstarter to self self fund her own album, right? Right. Yeah. And she so, made so like one point two million dollars. Which she didn't need to do because she, she already had made a solo album without doing what, Kickstarting. So what was the label what happened with the label? Was there no why was she not? Being yeah, there, there's by there's a label no label. Yeah, no no. She she didn't want to do a label. She was like, fuck it, I'm gonna do it all myself. And, you know, I think that's kind of leading to the belief that, you know, like any any old musician can make it on their own. They just set up a Kickstarter and exploit their friends and exploit everyone they know. And God damn it, they can do it themselves because, you know, they're musicians and they deserve it. Yeah. And, and yeah so the <laughs> Aaron, I donated 20 of your band's Kickstarter once, by the way. <laughs> I'm I'm sorry to everyone who donated that. I I am officially anti Kickstarter. I think it's an awful thing. That's an awful thing to do to your friends. And I'm I'm sorry. It's okay. Whatever I gave, I don't miss it. How, how many million dollars did you get, Aaron? Uh, we we got enough enough for Blake to squander it on kind of like feather boas or whatever he's into. So. So all musicians squander their money, is what you're saying. <laughs> I I kind of think musicians can't be trusted to manage their money. Um, <laughs> you know, like myself included. Well, like th- I mean, that's why you hire people. That's why you have a label. That's yeah. why you have a staff. You can't do it yourself because you're. Will you, you make, make me music. a shirt that says you can't there, DIY? That, right? Because I would wear that every day. <laughs> 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 But I just mean like you know what what Aaron says is true though because like you you're not gonna make an actor give an actor money for funding production of a movie unless you know. you're Zach Braff he oh. did that too well 
But yeah, Maybe yeah, no. He and Amanda from, Palmer I, should you know get together. But yeah. <laughs> in general, you know, uh, like it makes sense. Yeah, like you know, musicians are not people who are trained in this sort of these sort of areas to be able to effectively use their money. Um, so it really doesn't make sense, like the one person against the world, like model that they kind of prop up for a lot of musicians. Yeah, you know, I I think it just kind of like it to me it just kind of you know shows like an unwillingness to accept help um you know like you you see an example of you know like a marquee artist that already has you know like million plus fans and like you know like your musicians or you know who are you know like basically total unknowns or you know trying to follow that example uh, you know i i just I, i'm not sure how in most cases how how much of a role model like those like you know huge name you know artists that went rogue should be you know like they're and like you know she she's using that like million dollars to to pay people too it's not like she's you know sitting pressing albums like in her basement or something yeah. but she's not paying the musicians that are playing with she's, her at the shows oh I mean, she, she's not paying any of the musicians <laughs> because fuck them but yeah that's, that's, that's the shitty part that she's she's treating the musicians who she you know should be like fellow musicians, like given the most like uh, respect. You know she's making them play for free, or pretending that all the other roles are more important. So, even though you shouldn't be a you know musician against the world, like you shouldn't pretend that other musicians are their abilities are not worth any money. Yeah, you're you're just acting like the the major label that you're supposedly like taking a stand yeah. against by you know like screwing people and you know asking asking people to like fund your album for you, like I I don't want to pay for it. Uh, how about you do it? You, like yeah. I don't know. I just I think I just don't think that's like a you know like a way to like respect your fans and trying to frame it like oh they they want it like. I know. I just, I just think that's that's like a really disrespectful way to treat your audience. Yeah. But All right. Conclusion: Kickstarter is bad. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Nothing should be. Cr- everything that is crowned fu- crowdfunded is evil. <laughs> All right. Long. Let's long live up. corporate capital. Okay. <laughs> things are getting a little wilder out here. We need to wrap things up. Uh, all right, all right. So it's let's, getting a little bit let, Let's do closing, and everyone should rep something, and also say how much they hate Pomplamoose. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Um, that was okay. Yeah, you go, Trevor. You say goodbye, and then I'll say goodbye. So, uh, well, first I'll say how much I hate Pomplamoose. I think she's the worst, or they're they're the worst actually. I, I kind of hate they. the guy more than I hate her. Uh, and things to rep. I don't know. Um, I got the Modest Mouse reissues, and they're pretty good. So don't listen to the new Modest Mouse album. Listen to the old Modest Mouse albums. That's what I'm repping. I have the same thing to rep as last week, which is uh, Hollow Earth Radio helping out on a show on Sunday nights, 6 to 8 p.m., and it is all Seattle music. We are called the Seaport Beat, and y'all should listen to it. It's good. And I'm not just saying that because it's mostly me just playing records that I really like from Seattle that are coming out, but also because they're good. So that's my hard sell. And how much do you hate Pomplamoose? <laughs> yeah, also, okay, fine. I thought it was a little bit uh, avoidable that they spent $150,000 on a tour and uh, made $150,000 on a tour or whatever and still lost ten grand. That's <laughs> their own fault. Um, so instead of repping something because I really don't have anything to rep, I'm just going to talk about how much I hate <laughs> Pomplamoose. Um, and I really hate them. Um, I think... I think I think writing an article about how much money you lost on tour is one of the most cynical, self-serving things you could do. Um, this is a band that has uh, probably more than 50 million views on YouTube doing 
soulless, lifeless covers of songs. They're a cover band on YouTube that makes probably tens of thousands of dollars from their YouTube plays. And they're complaining about how much money they lost on a tour where they like paid their musicians and gave them per diems and paid for hotels and paid for food and paid for a light show, like all kinds of redundancies. So these guys, they're, uh, they're the worst and their music sucks. And I hate the dude in the band. He's such a silly man and I hate him. (laughs) I, I think he's a, either a founder or a primary investor in Patreon which is like a, a VC funded company as well. So, yes, that and that was basically the the article that they wrote or something was basically an advertisement for his own company. So, <laughs> and they're crowdfunding too. And they're, so crowdfunding is evil. There, we got it. Yeah. We cracked the code. <laughs> okay, I I got to wrap Aaron, this what do you uh, have? album oh, called Brent. Just Is by adult jazz and <laughs> <laughs> it's it's amazing it's um just a band from the uk they're writing this um you know weird minimalist uh, indie rock with unusual time signatures um it's great check it out probably um my second favorite album of the year so and uh in regards to Pamplemousse, I'm just going to state a couple n- numbers. So, in that article, they made $97,519 off of ticket sales and $29,714 off of merch sales. There you go. Pat just dropped the mic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So, I'm going to... I'm gonna rep C Pony. We're <laughs> we're going again. Uh, playing a show on January 10th at the Vera Project. Um, yeah, awesome. this podcast yeah, will actually be released. Before. I will be there for sure. That's <laughs> yeah, cool. It's, it's it's alive. Um, so yeah, that's that's exciting stuff. Um, as for Pomplamoose, I I don't hate them. I can't actually. As, as much as I'd I'd like to, uh, you know, hate musicians for you know making shitty music or dumb decisions or writing articles that I might not necessarily agree with them, I can't fault them for putting themselves out there and you know being relatively successful. Um, I will say that, you know, like from my own experiences with uh, touring. Um, you know, I've <laughs> had made significantly less money on the road, you know, just or netted less money, but, you know, not come out $10,000 in debt. You know, I've, you know, come out with money in my pocket, you know, like you, if you travel light and, you know, make, make the right decisions um, and actually look at it like a business instead of, you know, like a somebody who's trying to spend as much money as they have at one time. Like I, I, I just don't know. I, um, don't, don't necessarily, uh, you know, think that that's that like they're losing a hundred plus thousand dollars is really, you know, like a, a good representation of the, the climate for musicians out there. I mean, people, a lot of people aren't even bringing in that much and, you know, like, certainly you can make a lot less money and, you know, come out with more in your pocket. Oh, look, they were also sponsored by Lenovo. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, I've never had a fucking computer sponsorship, and I've left a tour with cash. Like, what, what the fuck?
you're not. What What are you doing, Trevor? He doesn't like what you're saying. Oh, so man. he's just in the other room, like slamming tables against the floor. Yeah, so just making no, as much no, noise no. as he possibly can. Go on, go on. No, but I. Anyway, but I'll, I'll just I'll just talk through my distraction. Um, <laughs> I, I know. I, I think it's. He's like I, I don't breaking think, balls. Jesus fucking Christ, man! <laughs> like, I know. Trevor. I, I, fuck are you doing man what what <laughs> the fuck are you doing <laughs> I was oh you're you're you like a breaking all of your dishes 